Just a few short weeks ago, we finished wrapping up tax season. And now we are, are moving in, uh, since this is a, an even-numbered year, we're, we're moving into uh, an election cycle. And, and it seems like at, at this time of year that, that there's often a growing discontent with our government. I did a little bit of research this week, and if you are one of those that you are... Um, growing frustrated with society and uh, government, there, there are essentially three options for you. One is that you can just live completely off of the grid. That, that you don't have internet, you don't have cell phones, that, that you just completely disconnect from society to the point that no one knows that you even exist. Now for most of us, we have grown too uh, accustomed to uh, a lot of amenities like electricity and um, running water and um, not having to, uh, to actually kill our own food. We just go into a grocery store and buy it. And so, so that's not uh, a very appealing option for most of us. Uh, a second option is you can go and you can live in international waters. And, and you, you don't have to abide by any any nation's laws because you are on international territory. Um, Ernest Hemingway's brother, uh, Leicester, he actually uh, did that, uh, built a barge and lived off of Jamaica in the, uh, the 1960s, but his uh, boat sank during a, uh, a tropical storm in 1966. The third option is that you can um, essentially declare yourself to be a, an independent nation. The, the term for that is a micronation. And a micronation, by definition, it is a, a, a nation that is not recognized as a nation by the United Nations. And so um, th there are, are a, a couple that actually exist in the United States. One of those is the Republic of, of uh, Malaysia. It is a, uh, a republic in uh, Nevada that, that claims about 11 acres of land and has existed uh, since 1977. It, it has as, its, uh, as one of its central tenets uh, as being a peaceful uh, nation. It does not have any taxes whatsoever, um, but they do offer um, foreign aid to the United States is what they, they call it, uh, to provide for uh, some funding for roads because uh, the United States needs money for, for that. Um, but that, that project began as, a, it began as a school project for Kevin Baugh in 1977. And uh, he has continued it on. And you can, you can actually go, you can visit uh, the, the Republic of Malaysia. You do not need a passport, though if you present one, it will be stamped whenever you come in to the, the, the nation. You have to, to call and make a reservation in order to gain entrance. They are not accepting new citizens. So if you're interested in going in, um, they're not accepting new citizens. And, and all of that is an attempt to, to gain more sovereignty. Because people create problems. But the reality is 
that there is no escape from the problems that people create. A New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, he was, he was asked uh, years ago by a, a publisher friend to, to write a book with the, the working title of Jesus at 60. Because Jesus died in his 30s, this publisher thought, you know, it, it would be nice to imagine what Jesus would be like if he, if he lived to 60 because he would have to shift from, from just a, a visionary, casting a vision for what the kingdom is going to look like to actually executing and, and, and moving into administration. N.T. Wright refused to write it because it wasn't necessary. Because it wouldn't have taken Jesus... 30 years to have to develop administration because you look at the early church and they start running into administrative problems. They start running into people problems very, very early. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. As we are working our way through the book of Acts, where this is our sixth lesson here, and we're in the sixth chapter. And as a reminder, the, the fifth chapter ends as the, the apostles, they have left the Sanhedrin. They have, they have been physically beaten and they've left rejoicing because they were considered worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And the last verse tells us that day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Then chapter 6, verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, the religious leaders of the day, they are doing everything that they can to stop this movement from multiplying, to stop it from spreading. And if you are a, a, a believer in Jesus, and if you, you believe the biblical story, then it's not just the people, but it is also Satan himself that is, is trying to stop what is being done here in this story. He has tried um, threats, tried physical abuse, and none of it is working. 
they continue to meet together. They continue to talk about the name of Jesus. And now, Satan changes his tactics and he tries to bring in distraction to prevent their growth. As the, the church is growing, they start to experience some growing pains. They have a, a system in place to provide needs for widows. In this culture, women did not work. They were dependent upon their, the, the men to provide for them. And if a, a woman w- was, was growing older and, and she had a husband that died um, and, and maybe didn't have children or, or the, the, the sons even have passed away, then she has become completely dependent upon the generosity of others. And the early church carried on a tradition of the Jewish people in providing for this type of scenario. And in in this part of, of the movement of the followers of Jesus, the problem arises because you have, the text tells us that there there are Hellenistic Jewish widows, and then there are the Hebraic Jewish widows. And what that is talking about is the Jewish people, they, they were not a free people. They'd been conquered a number of different times. And a few of those times, the, the conquering nation, they would come in and they would remove some of the people from their homes and send them to other parts of the territory. And so you have Jewish people that are living all over the world while they are clinging to their faith in God, they are having to adapt to the culture that they are living in. And as generations go along, some of them, they stop learning the language of their, their, um, their heritage. That they know um, maybe the, the language of the territory that they live in, and they also know the the language of Greek, because that, that was the, the common language. That was the, the, the cultural language of the entire area. And you have this, this cultural influence that is, is invading the church. Where those that are different, they are being overlooked. Because... For a Jew, while they may live in other parts of the world, there is no better place for them to die in their mind than to die in Jerusalem, to die in the holy city. So you have a number of of these widows that they are returning to Jerusalem, perhaps because they, they believe that they're going to be cared for there, but also because this is the city of God. And so they want to die in the city of God. And they are increasing in number. What is remarkable about the verses that we have read is not that there is a problem. Because problems are inevitable. Because as families grow, needs will grow. The biblical narrative reveals 
the problems that human beings create. Go back to the very beginning and, and after, uh, on the heels of, of being placed into the, the, the perfect land. Adam and Eve, they very quickly devolve into accusation and slander of one another. The very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, you have uh, murder. Paul David Tripp and, and Timothy Lane, in, in their book, um, Relationship Mess, they, they say that uh, while many of us have not committed murder, we still live on the continuum between murder and accusation and blame. No wonder our relationships are so messy. Our struggle with sin is constantly revealed in them. Anytime you get a group of people together, there are going to be problems. Whether it is intentional or not, we are, are going to create a mess because people are just messy. And th that is why we even need a Messiah. Because we have created such a mess. And as I I've already said the problem is not surprising. It is the response of the church that is surprising. I would argue that this is the greatest miracle in all of Scripture that we have just read. Because verse 5 tells us that after the apostles proposed this plan to address the problem, says that the, the proposal pleased the whole group. Now when has that ever happened? When have you ever as a family uh, proposed just a, just a place to eat and everybody was happy with that proposal? It doesn't happen. But what is, what is taking place is God is confirming that He is still at work in the, the life of this church and a part of what the apostles do that is is so healthy is that they take the time to acknowledge that there is a problem look again at verse 2 the 12 gathered all the disciples together they gathered everyone now this problem is just, a, it's just impacting a, a certain segment of the followers of Jesus. It's just impacting uh, a, a few people. But in order to address the problem, they call everybody together to communicate that if it is a problem for one person, then it is a problem for everybody. The church should often be leading the way in regards to unity. And it's often the, the, the place where we create the most disunity. Where we expect people to come in, and in order for them to come in, they have to, to act and behave and look exactly like us. They have to use the kind of language that we do. And if they don't, then we start to look down on them. But that's not the case here. That's not what the apostles ask of them. They don't, 
They don't suggest that these Hellenized widows, that they then begin to learn to speak Hebrew so that we can, we can learn your name, so that we can communicate to you. But instead, they take the time to listen. As I wrestled with this passage this week and trying to think of, of modern problems that we wrestle with, uh, of these cultural influences that have, have infiltrated our, our church gatherings that continue to create a dis- division and, um, and arguments. The, the examples that, that I, can, I most easily came to in our culture, it's, it's the, the discussions of, of race and gender. That is the, the topic of our culture is how those of, of other races and how women are being treated in our culture um, systematically. And what, what for those of us that are in the majority, what our tendency is to do is just to, to dismiss the problem and say, you just need to, to get over it. That it's not really a problem. Just last night, my wife was was talking with some friends, and she was telling about a time that she drove um, to the the airport in L.A. and and got lost and had to 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 stop at a gas station. And the gas station happened to be in Compton. And for those of you that that um, haven't heard of Compton before, it is the it is one of the predominant cities that in um, gangster rap music that they will, will talk about this particular city. And she was talking about how terrified she was. And, and I interjected and started to say, you know, I've been there. I, I've met a friend in Compton. And, and it's not as bad as at least what I would imagine it from, from uh, my, my, my childhood imaginations of, of these rap songs and the way that they describe the city. And she looks at me and she says, you don't know what it's like to be a woman. And she's right. I I have no idea what it is like to be a woman and to be in in, in a place like that. But how easy would it be for me to just simply dismiss that and say that you need to be more mature? And that's what we so often do. But the Bible teaches us differently. Differently. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 says that if one member, one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul will also say in Galatians 6, verse 2, that we are to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of of Christ. That if one member has a problem, if we have a program that is intended to affect the entire congregation and it, it neglects some, then that is a problem for everybody. And it demands that we stop and listen to one another. Listening is the skill that our culture has, has completely lost the ability to engage in. 
We think that, that debates, it is, about, it is about logic, it is about, about using a more commanding voice, it is about speaking louder than the other person. And we neglect the most important skill is to listen. As the apostles listen, they acknowledge that there is a problem. And what they do is, is not just to, to say, you're right, you know, we need to do a better job, and so we'll, we'll make sure that it gets done. But instead, they demonstrate the principle that as families grow, participation grows as well. They say, brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. And let me be very clear that they are not saying that they are too important to pass out food. They use the exact same language to, uh, of minister or, or deaconing on tables as they do of deaconing the Word. If anything, they are actually elevating the, the importance of waiting on tables. In fact, they, they elevate it so much that whenever you look at the skills that they invite the congregation to look for in these individuals that are going to be given the responsibility of making sure that, that these women are cared for, they say, look for somebody that is full of the Spirit of God. They don't say, you know, look, look for somebody that, that uh, has some some administrative experience. Look for somebody that has some compassion. Look for somebody that, that is a self-starter, somebody that, that can manage their time. The central component of what they are looking for is somebody that is full of the Spirit of God. They are elevating the work of, of, of spreading out the food among everybody. And they have converted the complainers into mobilized servants. They have invited them to be a part of the solution to the problem. Ephesians 4 verse 16 says that the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and it grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You probably have heard of the 80-20 principle. That in any organization, any uh, place of business, that, that about 80% of the productivity is done by about 20% of the people. Let's just assume that that is true, that that is a law. That, that whenever you get a group of people together, that you're going to have some people that they're going to do more of the work than everybody else. They're, they're going to do the, the majority of the share. If that's true, then 
we have to wonder, are you preventing the church from growing because you're satisfied with being a part of the 80 that, are, that just sits and consumes? That if, if you moved from being one of the 80 to one of the 20, then there is a seat for somebody who is not mature enough yet to come in and actually work, but they, they, they just need to consume for a little bit. Let me try and approach this from a little different, different angle. Whenever we moved here to Amarillo, my wife spent uh, a number of hours on the internet and, and a few on the phone with, with, with people investigating neighborhoods. Because we have young children, uh, one of the, the most important criteria in any neighborhood that we live in is the school system. How good is the school? And one of the most important factors in a school is the, the student-to-teacher ratio. In fact, most school systems, they, they have, as a part of the teacher's contract, the, the, the maximum number of children that they can have in a, a classroom. The school system that we were in in California, there were 35 kids in my oldest daughter's class with one teacher. And 35 kids, can you imagine trying to, to manage that, that many kids? And, and she moves here to Amarillo and there, there's like 24 kids. Now if, if my wife or if you would do the same kind of thing for your family, if you would go to th through all of that effort to, to investigate the school systems and, and to, to look and read, to talk to people, if you would do that for, for your child or your grandchild, then don't you think that God, who loves, John 3.16 says that, that God so loved the world, not, not just that He loved the church, but that He loved the world, don't you think that God, as He is, is working in the lives of the world and trying to reconcile the world to Himself, as He is bringing about these little miracles and, and trying to, to awaken people to, to the awareness that, that He is God, that He loves them, and He's bringing in the, these certain people to have conversations with them, and he's, he's working all of this stuff together in their life in order to bring them to the understanding that as Acts 4 verse 12 says, that Jesus is the only name that's been given to us that we can be saved. Don't you think that if God is doing all of that, that he is going to want to make sure that he brings them into a family that is equipped, that, that has people that are committed to adding verbs to their faith, that can help this, this new believer to grow and mature up in their faith. Absolutely he would. 
He's not just going to, to send them anywhere and everywhere. And so again, I return to the question that we have to wrestle with. Whenever we ask about why, why don't things happen today like they did in the book of Acts? What if the problem isn't that God isn't working anymore? But what if it is that we're not working anymore? What if it is that we have, we have traded in the vision of the kingdom of God for the American dream? That says, says that you do the minimum amount that is required so that you can then retire and rest and you can then can just consume. But you don't see anything about retirement in Scripture. And, and I know that there are different seasons of life and, and even the, the life of Elijah, you see him saying, you know, God, I'm done, I, I'm, I'm worn out, I'm ready to quit. And God tells him, get some sleep and eat. I have somebody that you need to meet because there's still more work to do. And so he's, he does spend time resting. And, and I know that there are different seasons of life where you, you're caring for, for aging parents or, or uh, newborns. Like, there's different times of life where, where we have different amounts of energy and interest and time that we can commit to certain works. But it doesn't mean that we stop. As I have wrestled with, with how to, to end the sermon this week, I just keep, keep coming back to the last verse of this, of this particular story. Verse 7 says that the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. It's not just adding to their number daily, but this, from this point on, anytime it talks about the church growing, it is multiplying. And a big part of it is because they have created a, a, an environment where they convert complainers and they mobilize them into servants. The way that they do that is, is they invite them up and they, they, they lay their hands on them, they pray for them, they, they, they kind of pass the, the Spirit to them. And this morning, as we close, I want to invite you to stand. And before we, we sing a song of invitation, I just want to have a prayer over you. If you would, please stand. Father, we are a, a weak and selfish people. And we need your, your spirit to, to continue to create unity amongst us. We need you, you to, to teach us to love people the way that you do. Father, we need to be filled with your spirit so that we can do the ministry 
of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. Father, it's my prayer this morning that you would help us to never lose sight of what is most important in this world. Not to get distracted by all of the worries and all of the stresses that are all around us, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. As Dusty comes up and leads us, some of our shepherds will be at the back and I'll be at the front. If there's some way that we can help you, pray with you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.